Good morning, everyone. Uh, you're very welcome to worship here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. And it's great to be starting on time again. We're getting good at this here, aren't we? We're gathering this morning after quite a difficult week in our world. We've all been shocked and saddened by events in Ukraine with a situation that we didn't think happened this day and age on European soil. I think we've all wrongly thought that such an egregious affront on a sovereign nation was something confined to the history books. You know, recently I've been reading um, Eugene Peterson's biography, Burning in My Bones, and as the news of that Russian invasion uh, broke this week, I found myself going back to a passage I read um, early on in the book, where Peterson describes the beginning of his ministry at a time of Cold War in America, with people increasingly fearful about the threat of war and what that could mean. And Peterson lamented at that time about how his congregation responded in less than Christ-like ways. Instead of focusing on community solidarity and renewed efforts at peacemaking, they hunkered down. They looked inward. They became defensive, even suspicious of the other. Peterson wondered how should he respond? How could he help his people see things differently? And his church at that time was recommending that they put more energy into activity, setting up new programs and initiatives. But Peterson's gut told him something else. He quickly realized that he had a much more basic function to perform. God wanted him to do simply what he was to do every Sunday. Call the people to worship. You see, it's when we worship. It's when we worship, when we turn to God in spirit and in truth, that God invites us into a bigger reality, ruled not by the kingdom of this world, but by the kingdom of God. So on this morning, at the end of a difficult week, let us do that together. Let us worship our God. And I want us to do that by reading a psalm together, which I think feels particularly appropriate for today. If some of you were at the Rooted um, event last Saturday, you might have heard me mention that my favorite verse is, be still and know that I am God. Uh, and you might know too that that verse comes from Psalm 46. We're going to read it now together, and you're invited to respond with the, the refrain in yellow. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's stand and worship now our holy God. Let us pray together. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the truth of these words. We praise you that you are high and lifted up. We rejoice that you are always for justice and peace. And in these dark and frightening days, we are comforted that you are sovereign over all. Forgive us, Lord, for how we sometimes forget this truth. For how we hunker down and look inward. We become defensive and think only of ourselves and not our duty to others. But you're a merciful God. And in your word, you reassure us of your forgiveness and that we do not need to be afraid. You're with us. And you have our future in your hands. And so, Father, may you be with us now by your spirit as we seek to worship you. As we open up the gospel of John again as we sing your praise together, as we pray for our world, as we join in fellowship with one another, may you instill in us an assurance of your love and a desire to be your agents of love in this world. For it is the name of the King of love that we pray, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, normally at this point with our connecting church slot, we invite somebody from our church family to share a little bit about what's going on with them. But today you're, you're stuck with me again, I'm afraid. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Lent and some of the ways you can participate in Lent this, um, this season. Um, some of you may be having pancakes on Tuesday. We had some this morning in our house. And uh, I, I know lots of the boys and girls will be doing that in preparation for Ash Wednesday. And I don't know if you observe Lent every year, but can I encourage you to think about doing so this year? I just want to flag up three different things that you might want to join us with doing um, here at Kirkpatrick. And you'll see three pictures on the slide here. Here's the first one. What a beautiful view from Cave Hill here. If you've seen the movie Belfast, I think you get a lovely shot from up there as well at one point. Next Sunday morning, if you're an early riser, some of us will be meeting at Belfast Castle Car Park at 7 a.m., to take a walk up Cave Hill. And we'll be doing that to reflect on Lent and to think in particular about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, this has been organized by Gareth Walls and some of the the dads from BB. It's not an official Kirkpatrick event. So if you're going, you're going with responsibility for your own children and getting yourself there safely. Um, But we would hope to be finished by half nine back in the car park. I hope I am, because I'm preaching next Sunday, and you might um, have a bit of a wait if I get lost on my way back down. Because we're thinking about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, you might want to consider not having breakfast that morning, and just allowing those little hunger pangs to be with you as we walk up the hill, and then you can enjoy breaking the fast 
when you return to the car park. That's what I'll be doing anyway. If you're interested in taking part, um, do get in touch with Gareth Walls, and he can give you some more details about that. Two other just very brief things to mention that have already been highlighted in the update. The first is our lunchtime liturgies. Um, some of us enjoyed these at Advent, uh, 20 minutes on a Wednesday at lunchtime to gather here in Ballyhackamore just for a short service of prayer and reflection. And it's been a lovely opportunity to invite people in the local community in. And we get a, a chance for a coffee and a cup of tea on our picnic benches outside. I'd love to see you coming along if you're able. Um, even if you're maybe off one of those Sundays, it would be great to see you there, even just our Wednesdays, just the once. And a special plea if you're a musician. I've had one volunteer so far, which is great. I do have some recordings to use, but you'll see in the weekly update, we're reflecting on particular hymns for Easter on those Wednesday lunchtimes. So if you're interested in playing or singing, please get in touch with me. We would love to have you. And then lastly, um, I, I use different things each year for Lent. I've got a little book that I'm going to be referring to in a moment, but something I'm going to be using this year is a resource produced by Christianity Today. Um, it's called The Wondrous Cross, and it's really to accompany what we'll be doing at a, a lunchtime on a Wednesday, where we've got eight contemporary writers from different backgrounds and cultures reflecting on a song of Easter. Um, not all of them are familiar to us, but there's a playlist that you can listen along to as you reflect on those. That's available in the weekly update. There's a link. You can download the PDF and use it. Um, but if you don't have that technology and you would like a hard copy, speak to me or to Graham, and we'll make sure to get one printed for you for next week. Um, as we just uh, conclude this little section, I want to read to you a prayer that I came across in this little book I have called The Little Book of Lent. It's a prayer written by somebody you've probably heard of, Henry Nouwen. And it's a prayer to mark the beginning of Lent. Um, I'm going to read it to you now. You can either listen with your eyes open or you can let your eyes fall shut and use it as your own prayer as we begin this season of Lent together. Dear Lord Jesus, this week the Lenten season begins. It is a time to be with you in a special way, a time to pray, a time to fast, and thus to follow you on your way to Jerusalem, to Golgotha, and to the final victory over death. I am still so divided. I truly want to follow you, but I also want to follow my own desires and lend an ear to the voices that speak about prestige, success, human respect, pleasure, power, and influence. Help me to become deaf to these voices and more attentive to your voice, which calls me to choose the narrow road to life. I know that Lent is going to be a very hard time for me. The choice for your way has to be made every moment of my life. I have to choose thoughts that are your thoughts, words that are your words, actions that are your actions. There are no times or places without choices. And I know how deeply I resist choosing you. Please, Lord, be with me at every moment, in every place, Give me the strength and the courage to live this season faithfully so that when Easter comes, I will be able to taste with joy the new life which you have prepared for me. Amen. We're going to sing about that new life now with our next song. Let's stand and sing together. 
So we're continuing our series in John's Gospel, and today we're in John chapter 5. We're reading from verses 1 to verse 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool and the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The Lord forbid, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Amen. Folks, I was a bit um, anxious to get to the reading there, and I forgot to do something beforehand. Um, I have some photographs to show you. I wonder, could we go back just very quickly on the slides? These are probably the most recent photographs you're going to see of the pool at Bethsaida, because I have a friend, Johnny Fraser, who's minister um, at Garnerville Presbyterian just down the road, who was there just this week. So when I was preaching on this passage, I texted Johnny, the wonders of the modern world, and said, Johnny, you wouldn't get me a few pictures of the pool at Bethsaida, would you? So he did. So here they are, and you can see what this looks like today. And I wanted to show you these pictures because I've never been to the Holy Land But I know when you go, you're told this is the general area where this might have happened. But not so with this site here. You know, we're very sure this is precisely the place where this man would have been, where Jesus would have have met with him. So I just wanted to to take an opportunity to show you those. And if you want to find out more about Johnny's trip, check out M. Garnerville's Facebook page or um, have a look on YouTube as well. He's got some stuff there, some videos that he's made. Let's turn now to the passage together. So we read here, there was one who had been an invalid for 38 years. I want to start this sermon by saying, I have no idea what it's like to live with chronic pain. 
I don't know what it is to be disabled, to live with disease, or to be dependent on drugs or alcohol or any other life-altering condition. But I have loved people who've lived with similar struggles. My grandmother, you'll see her on the screen here, was one such person. When she was 50 years old, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Now, if you know anything about Parkinson's, you'll know that it's utterly life-changing for the individual, and it's got significant implications for anyone who cares and loves for that person too. You know, as I remember my grandmother, who died a couple of years ago now after living over 30 years with the disease, I realize it's impossible for me to remember her without reference to her Parkinson's. It was so much a part of who she was. Even as a young child, I was very aware of her condition. She was my granny with the shaky hand. But as I grew up, I became more aware of it because of how open she was about talking about it and how willing she was to accept it as part of her life. She was always looking for ways to do good with it. One thing she did was to set up a support group in Armagh. And she got all of us in the family involved, whether we liked it or not at times, in running events, in raising money for the Parkinson's Disease Society. Even some of my friends, like Philip at the back there, was roped in at one point with our youth fellowship at church. And I can remember my my grandmother once being interviewed in church about how her faith helped to sustain her and, and how she learned to live with her disease. And she told all of us listening that night, you know, most people will say, why me? But I say, why not me? I'm no more special than anyone else. It was an amazing attitude to have, and I'm not sure I could say the same thing in her condition. But you know, for all the ways my grandmother accepted her Parkinson's, for all the good that did come out of it, I have no doubt that if she had been offered a cure, she would have taken it. Because as much as the disease shaped her, it didn't define her. She was more than her disease. And she would not have thought twice if there was an opportunity to be made well. That's why when I come to this passage, I find Jesus' question to the man who's been lame for 38 years such an odd question to ask. Look again at verse 6. When Jesus saw him, we read, lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, is it just me? Or does this sound like a completely redundant question? Do you want to get well? This man is desperate to be made well. That's why he's there at that pool, isn't it? Day after day, probably for years, in the desperate hope that this water might just offer him the healing he longs for. In this desperate hope that if he could just dip his toes in the water at the right time, well, his suffering would end and he would be made whole. And Jesus knows this. John tells us that. Which only makes this question all the more strange. Do you want to be made well? I can just imagine how my grandmother would have responded to a question like that. You might have guessed from her picture, she was a school teacher in her day. And she had that old school, school teachery way about her, if you know what I mean. She was pretty tough. 
She didn't accept any nonsense as I experienced for myself. And I can just hear how she would answer this question. Well, of course I want to be well. Don't ask such a stupid question. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't ask stupid questions. Jesus asks very good questions, doesn't he? In fact, he asks just the right questions. We've seen this already in John's gospel, not least with the woman at the well. We have seen how Jesus has that unique ability to ask the right question for that individual in front of him. The exact right question, in fact, to cut through the presenting issue to the deeper issues involved. The exact right question to open up that person to a new way of seeing themselves. And I think that's exactly what's happening here in this passage with this man by the pool. Jesus looks at his long suffering and he asks exactly the question this man needs to hear. Do you want to get well? You see, we might think the prolonged nature of his suffering makes this a redundant question, a redundant thing to say, but Jesus understands the exact opposite's true. It's the duration of his pain that means this is the only question that can be asked. You see, the Irish theologian David Ford makes this point in his commentary on the passage. He explains how, in his words, sometimes long illness, addiction, grief, depression, or some dysfunctional habit of relating to ourselves or others can over time become so much a part of who we are that we can lose the will or the desire to be liberated from it. That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? But I wonder, does it ring true? It rang true for us on the staff team when we were discussing it this week. Our collective experience confirmed that very often, however much we might long to be made well or released from some destructive habit, the prospect of change can be more frightening than the reality we've come to know. And that's because sometimes in our long acquaintance with our pain, we develop ways of coping. We come up with strategies for survival, ways of numbing the pain, which lull us into a, into a discomforting comfort, if that makes sense. You might remember how earlier in the year, Jane, our office manager, shared a little bit about her, her past life with Mercy UK, a charity that works with vulnerable young women coping with all sorts of different struggles. Well, Jane, when we were discussing this this week, explained that the question Jesus asks the man at the pool is often the first question folk at Mercy will ask any young, young woman coming to them for help. Do you want to be weighed well? And you know, the truth is, for some of these young women, the answer is no, not yet. I'm not ready to get well. And some work has to be done to help them say goodbye to whatever condition it is that has got such a powerful grip on them. Jane explained that sometimes that even involves writing a goodbye letter to your condition. Now, it seems to me that this man at the pool was in a similar position. He needed to say goodbye to his disability. He needed to say goodbye to the way of life he'd come to know. 
to the uncomfortable comfort of living day in and day out among the porticos at Bethsaida. And how could he not feel this way? He had been suffering 38 years, remember, 38 years. Now, despite Reverend Jim telling you a couple of weeks ago that I'm older than I look, 38 years is longer than I've been alive, just about longer than I've been alive, but it's still longer, and that's important to me. When you've spent a lifetime in pain, it can be frightening to imagine anything different. This man must have asked himself at times, who am I? apart from my pain? Well, I think that's the question Jesus wants this man to answer. He wants him to discover who he truly is. And that's why he asks this question. Do you want to be made well? Because Jesus wants him to know that he has more than his pain. Pain is a part of all of us. It shapes who we are, but it doesn't define us. It shouldn't. We're always more than our present sufferings. And Jesus came to make this known. I want to bring you back to our first week in John. You might remember the words that we read right at the very heart of that amazing prologue with which John begins his gospel. Here are the words. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. This is where our identity is ultimately to be found. This is what it means to be fully human. To recognize that we are, all of us, children created and loved by God. And as we, we, we acknowledge this truth of what Jesus is saying here, this is where we need to take a bit of a step back in this passage and look at the big picture. Because let's not forget that this story is presented to us as a sign. Remember, we talked about signs before in this series. It's a sign that tells us something about who Jesus is. In fact, it's the third sign we've encountered in John's gospel. And it's the first sign to cause quite a bit of controversy. And we're going to see more of that as we journey through. Jesus upsets the Jewish authorities here because he performs a healing on the Sabbath, but more so because of the way he defends himself. Let's look again at how Jesus does that. This is what he says. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. That's another curious thing to say, isn't it? It's a bit cryptic. What does Jesus mean here? Well, I think the Jewish leaders would have understood exactly what he was saying. In fact, we see that they did because they would have understood that God continues to work in two ways on the Sabbath. He continues to work as the giver of life and as the one who executes judgment. Even on the Sabbath, God is about the work of sustaining and caring for his creation. And even on the Sabbath, he's about the work of judging Israel's worship and assessing the hearts of his people. So do you see what Jesus is doing here in this response? By stating that he continues to work in this way, he's claiming unity with God. He's revealing that he too is the one who is the giver of life, the one who has authority to execute judgment. And it's both these facets of his identity as Lord of life and as the one who is our judge that gives him the ability to ask that question, do you want to be made well? 
Because only one with such authority could ask that question. And just look at how that authority is demonstrated in this passage. Look at what happens next. When he tells the man to get up and walk, well, we read it, didn't we? The man gets up and he walks. And Jesus reveals that he really is the giver of life. But just as importantly, there's another little moment here that we can easily miss. When Jesus misses the ma- meets the man for a second time, this time in the temple, because it's here that he reveals that he is the judge of our hearts. Now, I want to pause a little moment here on what Jesus says here, because it's another curious saying, maybe even a troubling saying for us to hear. Jesus turns to the man, he says, see, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, on a first reading, it might sound as though Jesus is making a link here between the man's sin and his prior sickness. But such a reading does not stand up against the broader witness of Scripture. For one thing, I think it clashes with the Bible's teaching on human dignity and the inherent worth of all people, able-bodied or not, as images of God. And it goes against the logical outworking of that foundational theological idea which is to assert that we, as the body of the church, are enriched by the diverse ways the image of God is given expression in all the different ways God has made us. But more directly, such a reading contradicts Jesus' own words in John chapter 9, which we'll encounter shortly, when he explicitly denies any correlation between sin and sickness. So that just can't be what is happening here when he says this. Instead, I think we're better to interpret Jesus' words here with reference to what he goes on to say to the Jewish leaders. In light of what this sign at Bethsaida reveals about him, not just that he's the Lord of life, but that he's the one who comes to judge our hearts. You see, when Jesus warns the man to stop sinning, he's pointing out that there are worse things than physical sickness. Far more serious is the spiritual malady that will ensue if this man continues to live in alienation from God. And I think it's in this that we see the full extent of Jesus' compassion. Compassion which goes beyond physical health to reveal his deep desire for a cure of this man's soul. You see, that's why I think this question Jesus asks, do you want to get well is actually a question for us all. Because we're all in need of healing. We all need Jesus to remind us that our identity is not determined by our circumstance. Our identity, our true selves, can only be found in the knowledge that God made us. That's why I love the way John Calvin begins his Institutes of the Christian Religion. I know John Calvin has a reputation among some as dour and austere, but this will surprise you perhaps. Because he begins this great tome with all his weighty doctrine with this sentiment. He says, we cannot know God without knowing ourselves. And we cannot know ourselves without knowing God. It's a radical statement. 
And I think it's why my grandmother was able to live so fully. Even with her debilitating disease, knowing God allowed her to know herself in a way that helped her to steward her pain, to accept it as part of her life, but to recognize that it wasn't all of her. Now, as I said at the beginning, I can only imagine what it's like to live with such a life-altering condition as Parkinson's. And I imagine that's true for most of us here. But I do know that all of us here will know the risk of spiritual sickness. Because the truth is, it's not just people living with long-term illness who can lose the desire to get well or to change. In our age of joyless urgency, we are all at risk of being lulled into a place of becoming comfortable with our discomfort. We can all find ourselves in this world craving distraction. I just wonder what that looks like for you today. Maybe you're like I was when I was a teacher. You're distracted by work. You're actually addicted to the busyness of your professional life, telling yourself that what you're doing is good, so therefore it's okay. Maybe you're constantly checking emails and responding whatever time of day or night. You're never able to switch off, and you're increasingly unsure of who you are outside of your work. Or maybe you distract yourself with entertainment. Maybe you turn to Netflix or Gogglebox for comfort. Or social media. Are you endlessly posting and tweeting or aimlessly scrolling through other people's posts and tweets? Or maybe you devote your energy to physical fitness. You have the gym as your church or your running club. And maybe you've been running so hard for so long, actually you don't know how to stop. Or maybe, just maybe, and this one might surprise you, you're distracted by church activity. See, I know that's not something perhaps we face during COVID, but I think it's a danger for all of us. Sometimes we can be so involved in committees and volunteering and serving others that we start to become defined by our roles and not by the one we come here to worship. See, none of these things I've mentioned are wrong. They're all good things that God has given us. I know I could do with going to the gym a little bit more often. Let's put it that way. But when these things become the main thing, when they distract us from what really, really matters, when they make us numb to the presence of God in our lives, we're in trouble. And you know, this can happen so, so easily. When our lives are full of noise, we feel to hear what we're going to sing about in a moment. We feel to hear the voice of Jesus say, come on to me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. And when we give our worship to false idols, whether it's a pool in Bethsaida or anything else, when we deny ourselves what is offered to us in Jesus alone, who says to us, behold, I freely give the living water thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. And so as we look towards the season of Lent together, 
let us turn our ears to Jesus once more and let us turn away from some of those distractions that we seek. Let's lay aside those things and listen instead for the questions Jesus is asking us. The question Jesus knows we need to answer. Maybe for you today, that question is the one he asked the man by the pool all those years ago. Do you want to be made well? Let's take a minute to pray together, and we're going to do so using the words of a prayer we used last Lent. Heavenly Father, I will lean in, retreat from the pressures I face, and move closer and deeper into your love. I will breathe out, refrain from the distractions that I seek and become open and receiving of your grace. I will linger, encircled by the depth of your care, and receive the endless nature of your mercy. I will whisper in the quiet of this sanctuary, and be honest and real in your presence. I will listen. Awaken all my senses to your voice and become expectant and hopeful for your kingdom work in my life. Amen. that starts this Wednesday night, the 2nd at 8pm. So ladies, what I need you to do is please, please, please sign up on Church Suite. If you haven't done so, have a wee chat to me or Jane or one of the others involved at the end of the service. This is just a prelude to a six-week Bible study that we're going to meet together here on Wednesday evenings to study Philippians. It's a great opportunity to study God's Word together but also to chat together. You might get the odd wee cup of tea or the odd wee cup of coffee, and it's just a wonderful opportunity for women to meet together and study the book of Philippians. So please come along. The first afternoon was great, and hopefully the rest of the weeks will be equally as great. Thank you. Thank you, Shirley. Just a a few other announcements to to remind folks of. And just to say, one of the reasons that we have announcements at this stage in our service is because we're going to be moving into our time of prayer for others, prayers of intercession. And so these announcements are not just housekeeping. They are actually items for prayer as well for you to consider through the week. Um, So Shirley's already mentioned uh, the Bible studies, the women's Bible studies starting up. Uh, this week, I want to mention to you as well our Faith Academy. The second week of our Faith Academy is this Sunday, evening, tonight, uh, Sunday evening, uh, and we would love you to come along to that uh, and consider again how we can share our faith. We had a really great uh, night last Sunday night. A lot of people coming along uh, and learning together, encouraging one another, and I think that's the key to this, isn't it? Encouraging one another uh, that we can do this, that we can go, that we can share our faith. Uh, with others. So again, sign up on Church Suite 
come along this evening. doesn't matter if you weren't there last Sunday night. Come along this Sunday night uh, and, and share together, encourage and equip one another. Also, I have a rather lengthy announcement to make with regards to uh, our COVID restrictions. Uh, following the government's widespread COVID-19 relaxations and deregulation, the General Council of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland have advised that we're free to make significant and welcome uh, changes to the ways in which we meet for worship. Uh, and so as a result, uh, in Kirkpatrick, we are happy to announce that from the first Sunday in March, that's next Sunday, um, we will no longer be required to book a place in the morning services. Uh, so you're not, you don't have to book for next Sunday. Uh, in addition, there will no longer be any restriction on which discipleship grouping can attend. So the rota system is gone. Everyone is welcome to attend every week. Recognizing that it may take time for us to acclimatize to these new guidelines, we plan to continue to run two services on a Sunday morning throughout March, still 10 o'clock and 11.30, and children's ministry will continue to be provided at the 11.30 service. We anticipate that there will probably be more space uh, for those who maybe feel vulnerable at the 10 o'clock service, so there'll be more more ways to space out uh, at the 10 o'clock service. on top of this, we will be uh, using every pew. So I should have said we'll continue to live stream the 10 o'clock service as well. Um, on top of this, we'll be using every pew once again. So you're free to choose where to sit. You no longer will be uh, directed to your place. Um, you'll be able to choose where you, where you sit. So being Presbyterians, you'll all want to get here early and secure the back seat. Um, there is the proviso, though, that we continue to self-discipline uh, with regard to social distancing and adopt that kind of um, that simple etiquette of leaving a COVID space between you as a, just as a mark of good manners. And those spaces are marked uh, on the pews with the little yellow dots. So please do remember that, to leave that COVID space between yourselves and members of any other household. We'll no longer be required to operate the one-way system, but we'll continue to sanitize hands on entering the building, and the wearing of face masks when entering, leaving, and moving around within the building will remain uh, something that we will do. Again, masks can be removed when you're seated, but worn again when singing. It is our hope, uh, and we're going to be monitoring this as we go forward, it's our hope come April to be able to revert to a single service on Sunday mornings, incorporating all the changes above, but we will be mindful of any further developments and the up-to-date guidance. If anybody has any questions or concerns or queries about any of the changes and how it will affect you, please contact myself or Gareth uh, Irwin or Billy Dixon. Uh, For further announcements that we have, please see the the email uh, and hard copies of the email are available this morning for you to take. If you don't get uh, the, the email, there are hard copies available in the vestibule as you leave. One other sad announcement I need to make this morning is the death of one of our older members, Mrs. Sally Briggs of Clarawood Crescent, uh, early on Thursday morning. Uh, I would ask you to continue to hold uh, her daughters and son, Lydia, Margaret, and George, uh, and their families in your prayers. Sally's funeral will take place later this week. We're going to come now to pray for others. And of course, we want to focus our minds and our thoughts on Ukraine. I want to read to you a letter that our moderator sent uh, just this week uh, to all of us as ministers to encourage us to do just this, to pray for the situation in Ukraine. He writes, Dear colleagues, 
the invasion of Ukraine by Russia on the 24th of February 2022. You will all have been both saddened and shocked at news of the dreadful events in Ukraine as they've unfolded in recent days. The Western world has united in condemnation of the actions of Russia's President Putin in launching a military invasion of his Western neighbour. None of us can know where this will end, but it seems certain that there will be great loss of life and suffering for both soldiers and those citizens of Ukraine caught up in this campaign. I have many friends in both Russia and Ukraine, and messages from them in recent days have expressed their horror, fear, and distress at what has happened. One wrote to me saying, please ask our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ in Ireland to pray for us. That is our greatest need, to know that you are praying for us. Another shared news of missiles and explosions near his family home in Kiev. It's clear that many people are choosing to leave their homes and indeed the country, thus creating a fresh movement of refugees. Many will seek to move further west, perhaps eventually coming to these islands. Can I therefore ask you to consider leading your congregation in prayer this Sunday, asking God that the conflict would not spread further, that those who have lost loved ones will be comforted. Those who find themselves without homes will be led to places of welcome and shelter. Pray for the Christian churches in Ukraine, for their endurance, protection, and faithful witness in face of this time of trial. Pray especially that a way might be found to bring a peaceful end to this needless war. Yours in Christ and with deep concern, right Reverend Dr. David Bruce. We're going to pray together for Ukraine just now. There also is going to be an opportunity during the week to meet together on Zoom uh, this Tuesday night, uh, 10 o'clock, when people are free from church activities here, uh, 10 o'clock on Tuesday evening to pray on Zoom. We will email details of that Zoom gathering and how you can join it. But just now, as we come in prayer, sometimes it's difficult to know what words to use in a situation like this. So I'm going to use a prayer from the 24-7 prayer movement um, that uh, I actually shared on Facebook earlier this week. Let me encourage you all to respond uh, in this prayer uh, with the words on the screen. So when I say the words, Kyria eleison, Lord have mercy, you respond with the phrases below. Let us pray. Father God, King of all the nations, we cry out to you now for the people of Ukraine. We ask you to rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies, that they may live without fear before you all their days. Kyria eleison, Lord, have mercy. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Lord of Lords, and Prince of Peace. Our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since 1945. We simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. Thwart the dark machinations of evil men. Give wisdom beyond human wisdom to peacemakers, seeking an equitable and less violent way. May politicians exercise the wisdom from above, which is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, and full of mercy. Kyria eleison, Lord, have mercy. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God,
who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Holy Spirit, we pray for the church in Ukraine, a nation in which 70% of the population call themselves Christian. Give our many brothers and sisters in that nation courage in this crisis, that they may proclaim the good news of your kingdom, bind up broken hearts, and bring comfort to all who mourn. We pray also for our brothers and sisters in Russia, that you would give them courage to stand for what is right and just, and to know that while every emperor, ruler, and president will ultimately come to an end, your kingdom alone will stand forever. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. You, Lord, make wars cease to the end of the earth. You break bows, shatter spears, and burn the shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many people in Ukraine. Make a peace that is strong and not weak. De-escalate this crisis. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you. So we address the nations now. In the name of Jesus, we say, be still and know God. He is exalted among the nations. He shall be exalted in the earth. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Amen. We're going to finish our service with the song, All I Once Held Dear. <laughs>